the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply the best Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There must be some righteous deeds, proper motivation that flows out of a life of a believer. There may be just a little bit, but there's got to be something there. I mean, I've said before, there has to be some spiritual fruit, even if it's just a a, a sour grape, even just a dried up raisin. There's got to be something. And we may not see it, but there's got to be something. Changed lives and good works follow salvation the way a wake follows a speedboat or thunder follows lightning. In the same way, changed lives and good works cannot bring about salvation any more than a wake can generate a boat or thunder can produce lightning. But if a person claims to have become a Christian and there is never any change in attitudes or lifestyle, then they would be wise to examine their hearts to see if their faith was genuine or merely intellectual agreement without dependence. Hello, this is Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the air, led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 26 years as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are pleased to transform his expository messages into radio format. We are studying the first three chapters of the book of Romans. In these early chapters, the Apostle Paul establishes beyond all doubt that each of us is in desperate need of salvation. Even the best of us has a heart that is wicked beyond any effort on our part to reform it. We need God to transform it. Paul is famous for stressing that salvation is a gift from God, not something we can earn. Yet here in Romans, It seems that Paul is telling us we will be judged by our works. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve considers this puzzle. You see, righteous deeds flow out of a righteous life. And unrighteous deeds flow out of an unrighteous life that's never received Christ. Unsaved people never do righteous deeds. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Well, let's look at verse 7. You'll see what I mean. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, I don't believe Paul at all is saying here that if you do good, God's going to give you eternal life. I think what he's saying is if you could do good, you would get eternal life. But the whole point of the first three chapters is to show us that what? There's none good. No, not one. If you want to get to heaven, you think you can get to heaven by being good, then the standard is, verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good. All the time doing good. What kind of good do you have to do? Is it just giving to charity? Just helping humanity? No. 
for glory? Do you seek for God's glory in your life? Do you seek every action, every deed, every thought, every attitude in your life is for the glory of God? To make him known, to respond to his attributes. Is is that what your life is? Well, that's what verse seven says needs to be. How about honor? Do you always honor the Lord in everything? You're never concerned about uh, prestige and fame that come from other people. Everything you do is with is with uh, keeping in mind God's honor. And immortality is that your everything has a heavenly perspective. You, you, you are always doing everything in mind with eternity's values at stake. If that's your life, always, all the time, then you can say eternal life will be your reward. In other words, what he's what he's saying is if you're perfect. You get to heaven that way. You know, there's two ways to get to heaven. Some of you, before I explain, are going to think I'm a heretic. But there's two ways. The first way is be perfect. Live your life always, every moment, to the glory of God, honor, immortality, always persevering and doing good. If you could do that, you don't need a Savior. But since none of us can do that, there's the other way. The way we have to take trust Christ, receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, that's Paul's point. Turn to Romans chapter three. Look at verse 10 and following. I mean, this is his conclusion. You have to understand, don't take it out of context. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. This is his conclusion. Not one, not Jew, not Gentile, not heathen, not pagan, not Greek, not moralist. There is none who understands. No one who understands God, not on his own. There is none who seeks for God. But yet in verse seven of chapter two, he says, for those who seek glory, honor, immortality, there is none who seeks for God. You don't see anybody apart from the Lord Jesus Christ dealing in their heart that really seeks for God to honor him. Or you may see people who are very religious. But as we saw in Romans chapter one, they're not seeking after God. They're running away from God. And that's why they're so religious. All have turned aside, verse 12, together they have become useless, useless to God. There is not there is none who does good. Why? Because God doesn't count goodness as as just doing nice things to help people. God counts goodness when it's righteousness based on the proper motivation. And you say, what is that motivation? Seeking his glory, his honor and immortality. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave with their tongues They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their feet are swift, whose mouth is full rather of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a description of all mankind apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and the people he indwells. No one has ever sought to glorify God apart from God saving him. Nobody. Everyone born into this world falls into the category of verse eight. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. That's us apart from Christ. Instead of glorifying God, we are bent on seeking ourselves selfishly ambitious. You say, how could he say that? 
I do nice things. Yeah, but it's all for the wrong reasons. That's the whole point. See, God is concerned with motivation, not just what we do, but why we do something. You say, but I'm like a good Samaritan. Look at all the things I do to help people. If it's not for the glory of God, then all of your righteousness and all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. Instead of glorifying God, we're stuck on ourselves. It's that self-seeking, continually disobedience that God says the reward will be wrath and indignation. See, this is a picture, verse 8, of the unsaved person, selfishly ambitious, and he doesn't obey the truth. Occasionally, he may stumble onto something that's a principle of Scripture. I mean, even unbelievers give to the Lord's work, but that's different than obeying the truth because you, you are submissive to the authority of God. But they obey unrighteousness, and to them, wrath and indignation. See, you may think that you do righteous deeds, and this is so important. That's why I'm reiterating it. But even nice things may be done for the wrong reasons. For instance, why do we do certain things? Think about why unbelievers do things. And maybe that's, this is your case. I mean, believers do things wrong for the wrong reasons too, except I think with them it's a combination of motivation. But with unbelievers, it's never a combination. It's always the wrong reasons. It could be peer pressure. It could be for the sake of conscience. You know, kind of appease your conscience. You know, do it. It'll make you feel better. Help you sleep better at night. To look good in the eyes of people. You could do things because you get a tax write-off or out of obligation or because mom and dad will be pleased or, or something like that. You think it'll get you God's favor? I mean, so it's not just that what we do is important. It's why we do what we do that's important. Someone this week asked me, they said, do you think, Steve, that, um, that when a person, uh, everyone who knows Christ, there must be some fruit in their life? I said, absolutely. There has to be some spiritual fruit in their life. If their life is characterized by verse 8, they're not saved. If they're always selfishly ambitious and they don't obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, then the end result is wrath and indignation, regardless of whether they've walked an aisle or prayed with somebody or said, said something or said they've trusted Christ or whatever profession they've made. There must be some righteous deeds, proper motivation that flows out of a life of a believer. There may be just a little bit, but there's got to be something there. I mean, I've said before, there has to be some spiritual fruit, even if it's just a, a, a sour grape, even if it's just a dried up raisin. There's got to be something. And we may not see it, but there's got to be something. Even before, uh, before this morning as the service started, Rich Hamilton read the scripture out of, out of a, a, a good tree comes good fruit. And out of a bad tree comes bad fruit. Bad trees can't produce bad, good fruit. If you think your works will get you past the judgment bar of God, then they're going to have to be on the level of verse 7. I mean, I, I hear people all the time say, well, why should I go to heaven? Because I haven't done anything that's really bad. You better have a better answer than that. Because according to verse 7, it's got to be on this level. This is the standard. Look at it again. Perseverance in doing good. They seek for glory and honor and immortality. If you think your life cuts it. And that's the standard. Not just that you've done occasionally some nice things. Not just that you haven't done certain things, but it's got to be on that level. And verses 9 and 10 simply reiterate 
this principle that God will render to every man according to his deeds. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the Jew isn't exempt. That's really what he's, what he's pointing out here. The Jewish moralist is not exempt. In fact, the Bible says he's going to be judged first. Now, I'm not positive that what Paul means here is that in the order he's going to be judged first. He might mean that, but the word first could mean preeminence. There's going to be a harsher, stricter judgment. I do know that that's true. Whether this verse is exactly saying that, I'm not sure. But there's going to be a stricter, harsher, more severe judgment upon the Jew who had the Old Testament scriptures and the law than upon the Gentiles who did not. The Jew will be judged. If he continually is disobedient, it will be hell. If he is continually glorifying God, it will be heaven. The problem is nobody apart from faith in Christ even comes close to glorifying God. Paul is stressing that both Jews and Gentiles will get exactly what they deserve. No exception. You know why? Look at verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. When you see the word for, it's, it means explanation. There is no partiality with God. Now, if you were a Jew sitting, listening to this for the first time without faith in Christ, you were in the first century, the law meant so much to you. Today, with most Jewish people, it doesn't mean much. But if you uh, prided yourself on having the law and having the Ten Commandments and the, the five books of Moses, this would absolutely shock you. Because the Jew considered himself deserving of special treatment because he was part of God's chosen people. And now, Paul is saying, there's no partiality with God. God doesn't give you any favors, you Jewish people, as opposed to Gentiles. See, that was what the Jews' problem was. Thought God's going to judge the Gentiles, but not himself. The word partiality literally means to receive face. To receive face. God doesn't receive anyone's face. You know that? In other words, he isn't influenced by who a person is and what he looks like and his background and, and his heritage and the things that he's done. God isn't, isn't concerned about that. God's not swayed one way or another. When it comes to judgment, God shows no favors. He doesn't look upon a person's face. Earthly judges can be unpredictable sometimes, can't they? But God is a perfect judge. He has perfect knowledge, and he cannot be bribed, intimidated, tricked, or swayed by any stories. Only Jesus can enable us to face him. We are going to take just a moment to say hello to anyone who just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Paul isn't the only one who said God doesn't show partiality. Moses said the same thing. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, as we get ready for class to resume. Deuteronomy 10, 17 lays down this truth, an eternal truth, eternal principle about the impartiality of God. Deuteronomy 10.17 For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. God doesn't have his hand out. You can't bribe God. 
In fact, the picture of justice is a woman who's blindfolded. Not because she's blind, but so she doesn't see the person she's judging. She's only interested in the facts, not the person she's, she's judging. In fact, in Roman and Greek times, not only was, was the woman pictured as blindfolded, but she had no hands. She had no hands. You know why? So she didn't, wasn't able to take a bribe. See, God isn't interested in your church affiliation. He's not influenced by whether you're Jewish or Gentile backgrounds, whether you're black or white, whether you're rich or poor. His judgment isn't swayed because you've had a rough life or a relatively easy life. He's concerned about those things, but, but when it comes to judgment, he's not, it doesn't sway him one way or another. The criterion for judgment is one thing, and that's works. And the proof that God judges fairly based on our works is that God will judge the Gentiles fairly and he'll judge the Jews fairly. Look at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. What's he saying? He's saying this. Even though the Gentiles didn't have the Scriptures, they didn't have the law of Moses, right? They didn't. They still sinned, and God will judge them based on what? Not the law, but the light that they did have. God's fair. God's not going to say, well, look, you didn't know all the details of the law, and I'm going to judge you based on what you didn't know. No, God says, I'll, I'll judge you based on the light that you did have. And the Jews who had the Scriptures and sinned against that light, God will judge them by the light of his word. See, God is fair. John Phillips, in his excellent commentary on Romans, says this, those who have the law have much more light than those without it. The, the possession of an open Bible greatly increases our ability to know God's will. But light is light, regardless of how dim or how bright it might happen to be. Did you catch that? Light is light, regardless of how dim or how bright it happens to be. If a person were lost in a dark forest at night, the least glimmer would attract him. And if he desired deliverance from the darkness, he would move toward the light and hail it with joy. However, if he had some guilt to hide, he would not respond to the light except to hide or flee from it, regardless of its dimness or brilliance. Doom awaits all who reject the light, but for those who have had a greater advantage, there is less excuse and consequently greater guilt. You see what Paul is saying and what Phillips is commenting on is that God will judge both the heathen who, who don't have a Bible, and the Jew who does have a Bible, he'll judge them both fairly. See, this answers the great question, Well, what if, uh, which we dealt with in Romans 1. Well, is God just? How could he send a, a heathen person to, to hell who never knew about Christ? Uh, but he had light. He had light. And if he responded to that light, God would give him more light and more light and more light until he'd come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is on record about uh, the heathen out in the deepest jungles who God was drawing to himself and they responded to the light because God worked in their heart. No man responds on his own. God worked in their heart and drew them and drew them and drew them until finally there was a missionary sent to the village, the jungle, and they explained who the light really was, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they accepted him. But God gives light to all people. In Romans chapter 1, we saw that there is the light of creation. But he also gives light of conscience. We'll see that in just a moment. The point here 
is that God will judge fairly to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And you know what he's really saying here is that there will be degrees of judgment. God will judge fairly. There will be a, a there'll be more severe judgment for the person who knew their Bible and yet rejected the truth of the word of God and rejected Christ and to a person who never heard of the Bible. Now, this may shock some of you. But he holds us responsible for what we know. And judgment is in proportion to knowledge for an unsafe person. The Bible teaches degrees of punishment. And I want to show that to you. If you look at Luke chapter 12, you see now this is a parable. But the truth is presented in this parable that there are degrees of judgment. Verses 47 and 48 won't take time to do the whole parable, but you'll see the verse is really self-explanatory. And that slave, verse 47, and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. Now, verse 47 says that slave who knew his master's will, that could be compared to the Jew of the first century who knew the word of God or the person in the 20th century who knows the gospel. Verse 47 says he'll receive many lashes. But look at verse 48. But the one who did not know it, and there's a difference. That's a person who didn't know it, didn't know it, and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few. Now, there's still punishments because he did what was wrong. But the punishment is based on knowledge and the light that one has. And here's the principle. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they shall ask all the more. Turn to Matthew, will you? Matthew chapter 11. Now, I think this is this is really powerful. Matthew chapter 11. The Lord Jesus is speaking of judgment in verse 20. He says, then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now, listen to what he says. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you. That's the biblical way of pronouncing curse on, a, on, on someone or a city. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, you are in danger. If I did these miracles in other cities, they would have repented. You've had greater light. Woe to you. Judgment be upon you. Verse 22. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Why? Because you have greater light. You've seen more. You know more. Verse 23, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, they would have remained to this day. Now, that is powerful. He says, nevertheless, I tell you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. More tolerable for Sodom with all of its immorality than for Capernaum. Why? Because Capernaum had greater light than Sodom. Both are going to be judged. Both will be dealt with. There'll be punishment for both, but do you see the point? There's degrees of punishment. God's judgment is according to our works, but it always takes into account the light a person had. Yes, God will take into account what we know of Him. But let's not take from that the idea that those who never heard the gospel will escape punishment. As we will see in the next class, they are also without excuse. 
Verse by Verse is a daily radio Bible class produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a study of the first three chapters of Romans. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning, we hope you can come worship with us. Lakeside is at 1893 Sunset Point Road, which is midway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. Don't run away after the service. Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Today's class was the middle part of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, it is available in either CD or cassette format. To order one, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We have today's class right there. It's available for listening online or for download. The same is true for the previous lessons, which you can find on the archives page. Look around a little bit and you'll discover links for our complimentary newsletter and our free podcasting service. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.